0: In this interview, I talk to Professor David Papineau about philosophy, naturalism, and mind. Papineau is a professor of philosophy at King's College London and has worked in metaphysics, epistemology, the philosophy of science, mind, and mathematics. He's a naturalist and a realist. If you enjoyed the conversation, don't forget to subscribe so you can be notified of future episodes and support the channel. I also have a YouTube channel under the name Digital Gnosis where you can see all these episodes and more. Thank you. I'm speaking with Professor David Papineau, um, and we're going to talk about um, naturalism, metaphysics, and potentially some philosophy of mind before we get into it. Um, Briefly, for those people who aren't familiar with yourself, um, do you want to give just a little background of where you're at now and what you're doing so people have an idea of your kind of specialization?
1: Uh, Where I'm at... uh... Geographically, or where <laughs> yeah. I'm uh, right now. Uh, I'm, both. <laughs> I'm on the coast of Essex as of this moment. I'm employed by the City University of New York philosophy program, uh, but I'm uh, since the start of the, the COVID uh, crisis. I've been back in England, and uh, I I'm also employed at. King's College London. Uh, uh, Intellectually I work on metaphysics, philosophy of mind, philosophy of science. I have interests in lots of areas, philosophy of biology, philosophy of cognitive science, uh, but I guess my main, my main work is all on theoretical philosophy, philosophy of fact, uh, as opposed to ethics, political philosophy, uh, uh, theoretical philosophies, sorry, practical philosophies it's called in, on the continent, uh, philosophy of values. So yeah, metaphysics, philosophy of science, philosophy of mind is my main interest at the moment.
0: And would it be fair to say um, in terms of kind of categorizing some of your beliefs that you would class yourself as like a naturalist or is that like too loaded or something like that? Is it just so people can broadly?
1: um... It's perfectly uh, fair description. Uh, We might talk about exactly what naturalism is, and I don't think it's a very informative label. I'm not sure... I'm particularly keen to self-identify as a naturalist, because that suggests that there's a kind of set of doctrines, assumptions that I start from that I'm committed to, as if it's kind of like a a religion or something. But Mm -hmm. I don't think of it like that. I mean, I, I like to follow the argument where it leads.
0: So I guess the the reason maybe to make that distinction might be recently I've interviewed quite a few um, Christian philosophers, for example. So they're coming from a particular slant, um, and also um, I've been speaking to a lot of people who are moral realists. So they would describe themselves as Platonists as well. And um, I mean, would would you say like like your view is something that's distinguished from maybe where these these camps are coming from on the on on some of those big? big issues about how, how we approach philosophy, what its role is.
1: I take myself to be a moral realist okay. too. Uh, I don't think that... The- the line between moral realism and anti-realism really lines up with the line between naturalism and non-naturalism. There are different kinds of moralists. Some of them are non-naturalists, but uh, you don't have to be a non-naturalist to be a moral realist. We, we, we might talk about that a bit when we when we talk about what naturalism, and perhaps we could talk about in, the, in a second. Uh, 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 I guess... Uh, Naturalists. Oh, I'm sorry. It's okay. Don't
0: worry. My
1: computer. Uh, sorry, I can't be heard. Don't worry
0: about that. It's okay.
1: look up to my phone. So, uh, believers, Christians, uh, are they non-naturalists? I mean, this is a complicated terminological business. Mm-hmm. Among Christians, there are some who say they are mythological naturalists. Mm. Which means they think that they can practice science just like all the other scientists. That uh, 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 their Christian beliefs doesn't necessarily uh, commit them to anything within the realm of science. Uh, so, that's a rather. I mean, it's not the, the way I understand methodological naturalism. Perhaps I should say a bit about how I understand. Sure. Naturalism. Yeah. So, first point is. I think it's a mug's game trying to draw up necessary and sufficient conditions for naturalism because people dispute what the requirements are. People are by and large inclined to want to count themselves as naturalists rather than non-naturalists. Perhaps that's becoming a bit less so nowadays. And so many people set the bar for naturalism low so as to allow themselves to be in the, the the camp of the naturalists, and I don't think there's any fact of the matter about where's the right level to set the bar for naturalism. So I, I, I don't think we should go into the business of trying to identify necessary sufficient conditions for naturalism. But uh, you can think about various positions as being more or less naturalist. I'm much more interested in the arguments, I'm interested in the arguments that might push you in a generally naturalist direction and see whether the arguments are any good and how far do they push you without trying to say that there's some kind of hurdle, some barrier, some level, which if you're pushed over that, then you're a naturalist and not if you aren't. I think it's really helpful in thinking about naturalism to distinguish two aspects of it, at least as it matters to philosophy. One's kind of to do with metaphysics and ontology. What kind of entities are there in the world? And so are they just basically the kind of entities re- recognized by, by physics and physical sciences generally, or are there things that escape the sciences, maybe souls, supernatural beings, maybe moral facts that somehow Uh, transcend the the physical realm. So that's kind of ontological issues. And I think when you were thinking about moral realism as being non-naturalist, you were thinking of moral realists who believed in some kind of platonic value facts outside space and time, perhaps. uh, uh, And that would indeed be uh, non-naturalist. Ontologically non-naturalist, I like to say, for, for, for that dimension of naturalism. Then there's another issue which is of interest to a lot of philosophers, which is what's the relation between philosophy and science? And this isn't a question about metaphysics and ontology, what's in the world. It's a question about the the proper method for philosophical investigation. And there, people who think philosophy and science are kind of in the same business, generally speaking, will call themselves, I say, methodological naturalists. That's rather different notion from the, the one from the philosophy of religion I mentioned. Uh, so naturalists in that sense, in the methodological sense, are thinking that science and philosophy kind of have the same aims and very uh, at an abstract level the same methods, whereas non-naturalists might be people who think philosophy is distinctive and that it uses methods of intuition or some kind of a priori insight and so on. So. Uh, that's that's how i'd like to understand naturalism
0: so uh, i think a lot of people would perhaps make a kind of distinction maybe between natural and supernatural phenomena as well as being a part of um broadly what would define you know so someone who's a naturalist would be saying well i'm, re- I'm rejecting supernatural phenomena and perhaps someone who is, is coming from a different point of view will, would say, well, that simply is what is the case. You know, if, if, if demons exist, if God exists, that's what is the case. And this distinction is wholly kind of arbitrary, in a sense, between natural and supernatural. And it becomes difficult to to, to pass out maybe
1: what the difference would be, be between the two. Um, I'm, that's why I think it's, it's not really... Look, for somebody who thinks there really are Uh, God's souls that survive death and so on think that they're real parts of the the world we live in, the spatio-temporal world, so where do we get off saying that that's somehow non-natural, right? Mm. And I agree, that's, I mean, we shouldn't fight about the term. Uh, On the other hand, it's a substantial issue whether there really are supernatural beings souls that survive death, and so on. Mm -hmm. And there are various arguments people have against against the existence of such things. And uh, arguments that say such things don't exist, perhaps, relative to certain assumptions, they couldn't exist. uh, uh, And the only things that exist are things recognized by the physical sciences that somehow are, are constituted by what we get from physics and so there's there's a substantial issue and look who cares i mean to be honest, it's it's perfectly natural in contemporary discourse to say that the people who say it's just physics are naturalists, and the people who say that they're supernatural beings and so forth are non-naturalists. But but let's not fight about the word. I mean, the, the substantial issue is: are there any supernatural beings, and, and so right. on? Uh, and I mean and, and and it doesn't have to be. Are 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 there parts of human beings? Are there parts of their mental life, and particularly their conscious mental life? that somehow transcend what we get from physics. That's a substantial issue, uh, and uh, we don't want to kind of uh, avoid the issue by starting to quibble about the meaning of the term naturalism.
0: So, so one other um, perhaps kind of substantial issue that people discuss that seems to be a part of, you know, this wider discussion is as well. How do we distinguish between sort of metaphysics, what the philosophers are talking about and physics, what the scientists seem to be talking about, you know, which, which of those is um, a description of reality, um, which, you know, how, how do we know what, what actually is the case and, and what, what are your thoughts surrounding the relationship between physics, the sciences and metaphysics uh, philosophy on that, on that kind of front?
1: So, I mean, I think scientific theories, physical theories, and metaphysical theories have just the same subject matter, and what's more, I mean, so they have the same subject matter. Well, generally speaking, I think they're both about what's in reality uh, uh, and uh, with the structure and the nature of reality. You might be able to draw a line saying, look, Physics is concerned with the atomic structure of matter, the structure of atomic matter, and so on. And metaphysics is concerned with the structure of particulars and properties and uh, and the nature of causation. So some people might like to draw a line within reality between the metaphysical uh, uh, topics, and the metaphysical subject matter and the physical, I don't think that works. Uh, And for instance, I'm I'm about to start writing a book on causation where I appeal to all kinds of stuff from from physics and uh, empirical research and statistical science and so on. So I don't don't think there's any way of, of dividing up subject matters. Where people think metaphysics differs from physics, they're more likely to argue for the difference on the grounds of methodology, that uh, where physics uses empirical methods to decide between theories, metaphysics uses uh, some kind of a priori reasoning, some kind of intuitive insight into the nature of reality. I'm sorry about this. It's okay. Yeah, (laughs) I I think it's just some cold call business scam. And I don't know how to stop it. Sorry about that. Uh, So, so so there's the people who think that there's some kind of a priori insight into reality. And that's, that's what's behind uh, philosophical investigation into metaphysical topics. But I don't think that stands up either. I mean, I don't think there's any good account of how that kind of investigation goes, what's, what's the, the mechanism by which we get a priori insight into reality. And I think in the end, uh, all we're doing in metaphysics is trying to construct uh, a series that uh, about the world we live in, the spatial temporal world we live in that uh, come up to just the same standards that scientists use I mean the truth is that scientists don't just use uh, uh, agreement with experiment they also have to decide between theories inevitably by appealing to what are some sometimes called super empirical virtues uh, you dismiss theories that are completely uh, complicated or crazy or you know there's little green men running around arranging everything like it is I mean that you can set up a theory like that 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 is consistent with all the observations, but scientists just dismiss that as a, as a stupidly complicated theory. And I think in, in, in philosophical metaphysical theorizing, we, uh, we've got all the empirical facts we know, and we end up deciding between theories on these kind of grounds of uh, theoretical simplicity. But I don't think that's any different from what goes on in science. So, I mean, I can probably Give you having said that that basically metaphysics and scientific theorizing is the same thing both in terms of subject matter, and and methods. I probably owe you some account of why uh, uh, it's done in different departments by different people. Uh, you read the papers; they look pretty different. Like I, I could say something about about what, that.
0: I, I think one one of the biggest difficulties that I see people having. Um, in that discussion then is how we decide between these things that we we have words for like facts for example or to say to say that something is true but and and then you know the the scientific method itself which seems to be about things in the world that and to say something is like a fact or is the case seems to be in a sense like this non-natural strange thing whereas to to you know to measure something in the world and it's like look you get you can actually see and you can touch and there's this empirical um data thing to it but i mean it's, it's quite it's quite a big um question like how how are we on on this view of naturalism that we accept what are these things that we're representing in our minds that we you know when we say well it's it's true that um sci- that scientific model x works or it is the case what what do those kind of things mean on a natural?
1: Sure. I'm not Perhaps you better be more okay specific about what's wrong. It seems to me that in science, just as much as in philosophy, metaphysics, you have statements, theories about, about reality. Uh, hydrogen atoms have one electron in. You could have another statement, another theory. Hydrogen atoms have Two electrons in, and uh, uh, the things you say are are true if they match the facts. If indeed, in reality, it's a fact that hydrogen atoms have one electron. I mean, uh, so as far as truths and facts go, they seem to be present on the scientific side as much as the philosophical side. So, so what 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 was it that you were?
0: I, I suppose I what I see. Um... Because, because, sorry, to, to give you some context to where I'm coming from in this, on, on my channel, um, there are people of various kind of backgrounds, um, people who are, say, um, like from a Christian background, people who are from an atheist background. And the biggest point of conflict I see between the two groups are those who are from um, one background want to talk about all of the, you know, all, all, all of the classical theism arguments which um, re- rely on thinking Thinking about things in in the mind, uh, representations of, of ideas, say, and people who seem to come from the the atheistic background seem to be like, no, these things don't exist in reality. We can't see them. But I I completely agree. There there seems to be things like, um, I but I don't uh,
1: see. I mean, I really don't see.
0: <clears throat> like, what's a fact uh, like? I suppose maybe is what I'm trying to get at. An
1: example. Yeah. So I'm, 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 facts are what the world is made of. I can see my car outside, yeah. it's uh, metal, it's grey, it runs on diesel, those are yeah. Are facts. Uh, that's, that facts are what the world is made of, then you have statements or ideas or something and they can be true or false depending on whether they match the world or not. The, uh, statements and ideas, they represent things to be a certain way. They lay claim to certain possible facts. So there's an idea that my car is blue. That would match the world if in the world there was a fact that my car is blue, but my car is gray. There's no such fact in the world. So that thought is false. And if I was talking to to uh, one of your theistic guess, I'd say, well, let's see what your ideas are. They're about things. Uh, Let's look into the world and see whether there's anything in the world matching your idea. If there is, then your idea is true. And if there isn't, then it's false. I don't see Mm. what they could be thinking to say that that doesn't apply to their thinking.
0: Well, maybe it's something like, um, so does the you know the the fact does it is it like an entity that exists somewhere or something? I think this is one of the one of the difficult things. May you know is it?
1: But what's hard? Look, I mean, as I say, yeah. I can see my car. It's about eight feet away. Yeah. And it's grey. I mean, there's a fact. There's the car. There's the greyness. There's a fact. Yeah. The car has greyness. I mean, uh, where is it? Well, I mean, it's where my car is. Uh, uh, I. Look, you you can have facts that are very spread out. I mean, the average uh, age at which people in Britain get married, I was amazed to discover yesterday, is 37 years old.
0: That's
1: a a fact, it's very spread out. It's to do with uh, uh, people all over Britain uh, for some time period. But still, I mean, there's a claim, the average age at which people get married is such and such. And there's a fact in the world, that will make that true. I mean, if I said the average age was 43 at which they get married, uh, then it would be false. So, I mean, it's possible that your theistic guests are saying that the, the religious views they have, the religious claims they make aren't like that. They aren't in the business of representing reality and aiming at truth. That's a perfectly respectable Position that religious doctrines are some kind of expressive uh, uh, act; they 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 communicate a certain kind of feeling, attitude. Uh, 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 they they invoking you to live your life in a certain way without laying claim to to uh, how reality is. Uh, if 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 that's so, we could we could discuss these. Uh, expressions of attitude and uh, invocations to to live in a certain way on their merits but they wouldn't they wouldn't be claims that are aiming to describe reality at all
0: i think maybe maybe um what some people might say for example on on the other side of that of that argument would be well if there were no minds there would be no facts or something like that if, if you know like like it's just um your you're representing the world in in your brain, and we we've invented a language that describes something, but there isn't like a, a fact about the world or something something like
1: that. So I take facts to be Wittgenstein uh, first first line of the Tractatus: the world is the totality of facts, not things. I take my cars being grey. That's better. My cars being being metal to be something that is there independently of anybody thinking about it. Uh, uh, There's a certain, uh, I don't know, there's there's certain rocks located at certain places on the surface of Mars. Uh, Those are facts nobody's thought about them. Now, I'm using fact in a rather specific way. I mean, there are people Mm -hmm. in philosophy who think that Facts need to be understood via representations. A fact is a true representation, a true thought, a true statement, or something like that. So they're they're building uh, into the notion of fact the further idea that there's something representing the mm-hmm. fact. Uh, I don't think that's a helpful way of talking. But if you want to talk like that, we could we could do the the whole thing differently. You could say. Uh, uh, that uh, there's propositions, there's, there's representations, there's thoughts, there's, there's there's statements, and then in the world there are things and their properties and relations. And the statements are are correct. They are facts, if you like, if they get what's in the world right. I mean, that's just moving the pieces, the pieces around. I mean, there, there is a, a view that somehow reality in the absence of human beings is, is unstructured, it's just a homogenous dough, and it's only when we come with our concepts, kind of cookie cutters, that we put structure into reality. But I think that's a slightly bonkers view. I mean, if you think reality in itself doesn't correspond to the way we think about it, that's a, you. You might think that nearly all the, all the thoughts we have are false about reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah. So.
0: So I, I, I guess maybe talking about what a mind is, what it, how is it that we are able to kind of think think about things, think about facts. Um, how how are we able to, you know, you know, in in language I can say a true proposition for example and I can say it mentally or I can utter it um into the external world um what what is a mind in that sense in the in the way that it can it can represent these facts
1: very good question very good question and uh uh it's something I've been thinking about and writing about for I don't know longer than I care to remember so uh there are many different theories about this. So, yes, we have we have entities, we have words, sounds in the air, marks on paper, we have uh, organisms, humans uh, with various uh, uh, mental states, various uh, arrangements of neural firing in their. In there, cortex, and uh, there's an interesting question: How can those marks, or just neurons, how can they stand for something, stand for something else? And uh, there's lots of good theories about it. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the theory that I like I like best. Uh, so humans and other animals need to navigate their way around the world. They need to respond to the circumstances they're in, in a way that's appropriate, that will help them to survive and reproduce and uh, more generally uh, uh, succeed in their projects, whatever they are. So they need to tailor their behavior to their environment. But the environment isn't always there directly to guide your behavior causally so what uh, animals, not plants, because animals, plants tend to stay still, but animals that move around need to uh, have something to guide their behavior, appropriate to certain external circumstances, even when the certain external circumstances aren't there to guide them directly. So they have things inside their head that will, as it were, stand proxy for the environment. If I know that uh, my enemy is coming from a certain direction, then I ought to behave in a certain way. Uh, But what's guiding my behavior is is, uh, some state of my brain. And uh, I'm, as it were, treating that state of my brain as my enemy is coming towards me. And so that's what makes it the case that the state of my brain represents my enemy, that uh, it's standing proxy for the approaching presence of my enemy. And and think about it. Uh, if my enemy is really approaching, then that brain state is doing its job. And if my enemy isn't approaching, then it's, as it were, saying my enemy is approaching when it isn't. And if you ask me, that's the nature of representation. Human beings and other animals use certain states to stand proxy for various distant states in guiding their behavior. And that's what representation is. Uh, it
0: seems that would sort of describe like how we, how we developed minds, say, but um, perhaps the question of um, how is this, you know, what how is there something it's like to be uh you know to to be you how like how how can matter have a perspective on things is there an answer to that question within there as well um so perhaps rather I, than yeah
1: i think so i mean i i i think that a very fine book written recently by my uh ex colleague at cuny in new york peter godfrey smith called other minds, and it's about octopuses, but it says a lot about the evolution of minds and the evolution of consciousness, starting very early on in uh, evolutionary history. And for him, a a big step is when certain arrangements of matter starts becoming important for them to distinguish between themselves and the environment. And in particular to distinguish between uh, cases where the environment impinges on them because the environment is moving and cases where the environment impinges on them because they're moving. And so, and uh, these are organisms that will start developing nervous systems that will enable them to make these distinctions and move around the the, the world. And I think that once you have that, you have the start of a point of view. And uh, I'm inclined to think of, of consciousness as nothing more. I mean, it's inevitably present when you have organisms uh, for which are organized in such a way that certain of their states are presenting a perspective for them. They have a perspective on the world. Uh, It's it's the idea I had before of certain certain states being interpreted by the organisms in their behavior as, as signifying certain features of the world around them. Once you've got that, you've got organisms with a perspective on the world. And I think consciousness comes with that.
0: I but it, your view isn't this kind of, say, uh, property dualism or something like that. How, because to, to me, to uh, me, hearing that, it sounds like it could be similar. How would, how would you distinguish? I, I suppose maybe, maybe, firstly, a, a quick definition of something like uh, property dualism, and how, how would you distinguish your view from that, or would you even?
1: <laughs> so, property dualism is a rather Property dualism is just dualism and I'm not dualist at all. Uh, so, property dualism is a rather, I mean, it came in with Davidson, maybe, maybe Spinoza, maybe P.F. Strawson, uh, that they're things, human beings or physical events and they have some physical properties and they have some mental properties, maybe conscious properties, that are distinct from and independent of the physical properties. Uh, that's kind of that's dualism. I mean, that says there's physical stuff and then there's non-physical stuff. And uh, I don't think that's true at all. I mean, the only respect in which which probably dualists are not full-on dualists is they think these very different properties, the physical properties and the the non-physical mental conscious properties attached to the same things. But I mean, unless you say something more, a property dualist is open to the possibility that you could have two beings that were physically quite identical, but one was conscious and the other one wasn't because there's this further thing, the conscious properties, which are independent of the physical properties, which can be present or not, if the physical properties are there. So I wondered why you were thinking of me as a property dualist.
0: Well, I, I know that isn't your, but just from given the explanation that it sound, it sounded like um, what was being described was this perhaps material complexity and then consciousness emerging as a thing on out, out of that material complexity.
1: Um, I, I never said anything. Okay, I, maybe, I, yeah,
0: maybe, I yeah okay
1: you're sorry i don't want to be uh yeah uh, uh, accusatory about this sure but you were reading things into yeah, words this idea the whole idea that consciousness arises emerges when you have physical things arranged in a certain way a whole way of talking is already dualist
0: Right,
1: okay. I don't think the consciousness. I mean, I don't think you have all the physical stuff, and then if you put the physical stuff in the right way, bingo, some extra thing arises. Like, you know, if you uh, uh um, oscillate something in a magnetic field, you'll cause waves. Uh, it's not like that. Uh, uh, it's uh, I can't remember how I put it. I said, once you have physical beings arranged a certain way then you'll have conscious that's what consciousness is it's not some extra thing that's produced by the physical right. arrangement. it just is the physical arrangement there's no metaphysical possibility to have that arrangement and no consciousness not even god could make a being with all that physical stuff and not have consciousness the consciousness just is uh what it's like to be a physical being like that, what would you expect it to be like to be a physical being like that? Well, that's what it's like. I, th-
0: I think I struggle still with with how how there's a perspective, you know, how that how there's an I or an, an ego or an atman or you know, so that it seems to me, um, is it, it seems to me that may, maybe fundamentally my, I I am this thing having this experience. And I'm not sure how, um, you know, to put it as it, if I, how how if I were to, um, you know, a, se- a series of kind of like pipes or something connected together with water gates going through them or something, how, how then this extra thing of perspective, no matter how complex it, the thing was made. It's perfectly
1: totally reasonable, percent. and everybody has this intuition and worries about it, to worry Why does conscious experience come with these physical arrangements? Hmm. And I don't think you've got an argument here. I think you're starting, as many people do, everybody does, with the presupposition that the conscious experience is something extra to the physical arrangements. And I think that the arguments show pretty conclusively that it can't be and that we need to educate ourselves out of this attitude. But I don't think talking about perspectives is mm. adding anything to the issues I've just alluded to. I mean, So th- it seems to me that, th- that there's a real puzzle to be addressed about how can expect, as most people think about it, be guaranteed just by physical arrangements. But I don't think there's any puzzle about how can a perspective be guaranteed by physical arrangements. Look, a camera has a perspective, even if we assume, as as is pretty clear, or well,
0: perspectival knowledge, perhaps with that. Sorry to end up, perspectival knowledge, kind of like. Um, uh, it's,
1: but, but, but camera, I mean, look, camera can have knowledge. I mean, if if you think of the the photographs as. Uh, laying claim to how things were. I mean, the accurate representations for how things were, caused in the right way. Uh, the thing that's bothering you is the feely bit. It's not the perspective. The camera has a perfectly good angle on things as it moves around. It can see some things and not others. It means it's kind of seeing them from a point of view. I mean, I I I, I think that the 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 perspective of organisms as they evolve becomes much more interesting, because they're evolving the ability to be sensitive to certain aspects of their environment. And uh, so we're we're, we're seeing there what perspectives on what aspects of reality they're evolving. But there's nothing there in the talk of perspective. that seems to me anything more philosophically challenging than talk of perspective in the case of a camera. I think what's bothering you is the fact that there's feelings and you're finding the difficulty is just with the idea that uh, feelings should be nothing, more than nothing over and above, just certain physical arrangements. And I agree that everybody, including myself, has a strong intuition that the physical arrangements are one thing and the feelings are something different and it's possible in principle, even though we don't actually see it in practice to have those physical arrangements and not the feelings. Everybody thinks like that. I think it's just a mistake. I think that what uh, much modern science shows us is that fusing the physical arrangements must be one and the same. Perhaps we should talk about that a bit because I'm saying that there's strong arguments here. I haven't mentioned them uh, and uh, at the beginning when we were talking about the definition of naturalism and you say look there's some people who believe in souls and supernatural beings and they don't see why they should be called non-naturalists and I said well that's fine by me but let's talk about the issue whether there are souls and supernatural Mm. beings and uh, uh, I said there were good arguments against them and what I'm thinking of here is the arguments that come from modern physical knowledge. So, modern physics recognizes, and I think it has evidence for this, that there's a very limited range of fundamental forces. There's gravity, electromagnetism, nuclear forces, That's that's it. And uh, that implies that nothing that isn't composed of entities that exert those forces will be able to have any effects in the spatio-temporal world. In particular, uh, uh, minds or supernatural beings that somehow transcend such physical constitution, will have to be causally impotent. And that's a f- perfectly familiar thought. I mean, many people uh, think, oh, well, they've gotta be kind of conscious minds, and then they worry about how the brain works, and they think, well, the conscious minds are just gonna be epiphenomenal, floating above floating above the, the brain, like puffs of smoke in a, in a train. Uh, I think, of course, my conscious feelings are not epiphenomenal. Uh, they affect my my behavior, my physical movements, and other physical things. Uh, And in order for that to be so, they've got to be nothing over and above my physical makeup. And this is a very powerful argument. And it's interesting that it's a fairly recent argument. Uh, If you look back 100 years ago, 200 years ago, scientists generally thought that there were fundamental forces peculiar to minded beings. They thought in addition to uh, gravity, electromagnetism, and nuclear forces, there were also uh, vital forces and, and distinctive mental forces, forces of sensibility, forces of irritability. Uh, Nervous forces, I mean we all talk nowadays about nervous energy, that's a hangover from the late 19th century idea, it was a distinctive nervous force field arising in in, uh, 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 complex sentient beings, and uh, when you were reasoning, deciding what to do, you built up the potential energy of the nervous force field, i.e. you got full of nervous energy, And then when the time to act came, you release that potential energy into kinetic energy in the form of movement. And if you have a a physical theory like that, that allows uh, uh, distinctive nervous forces, then there's no problem about conscious minds uh, uh, that are distinct from the physical realm influencing the physical world. But since the middle of our century, science generally, as the result of investigation into the way that cells, and in particular nerve cells work, think there are no such forces. They're just normal chemical electrical forces operating in the brain. That's all it takes to get me, get me moving. And that's the argument against supernatural souls, souls that somehow transcend the physical realm. Uh, there's no evidence that such things make any difference in the physical world, but of course my conscious thoughts and feelings make a difference in the physical world. So they've got to be one and the same as my physical brain states. It might be strongly counterintuitive, but there's an overwhelming argument in its mm-hmm. favor. Uh, I mean, there's a bit of unfinished business here if, if uh, the theory' so strongly supported, Why is it that we find it so difficult to believe? Why are we so intuitively convinced that the conscious mind is separate from the physical world? And there there are plenty of people who work on that, who write about it. I mean, uh, there's whole anthropologists and uh, comparative psychologists who are interested in the source of intuitive dualism. Why are human beings intuitively dualist?
0: Can I I tell you something then that I've, struggled with from a philo- philosophical perspective and maybe you can comment on where I've I've where there's some perhaps fallacious reasoning or thinking going on in there. Mm-hmm. Um so what when I initially came to look at um the idealism of Bishop Barclay and mm-hmm. um his master argument that you know if if you can conceive for me a tree that exists, in de- something that exists independently of the mind, then I'll uh, then I'll abandon this position in the in the dialogues. Um, I, I sort of dwelling on that, and I think I I agree based on inference that there seems to be this external world, and that perhaps science might eliminate some of our kind of categories that we think there are mentally. Um, but I still all those things that I'm learning about. That, you know I'm learning about them I'm I'm this thing that's having a mental experience it seems and like I have um you know the the textbook appears to me as this uh representation before me and the the facts of this thing that I seem to be holding in like all of it seems to be mental like I don't have direct I, it seems I can start at the um I can start with myself and struggle to get to the world or I can start with the world and struggle to get into the mind but I can't um yeah I, th- I think the thing I, the thing I struggle with with that view is I'm like well I'm, I'm I'm here hearing you tell me these facts about the world and stuff but it but it's still your kind of is it is it right to say qualia before me that's kind of a you know give it you you tell me these things and I, I'm a, a mental being experiencing them and it and it's qualia before my senses and even though i have an explanation that's based on inference and i can't directly get at that so i can't know that that's true or i can't it does that sound kind of kooky to you is that
1: that <laughs> doesn't sound kooky but i'm wondering uh what the problem is uh It seems that then
0: to accept what you're saying, I deny that that thing exists, that I fundamentally said, yeah. Uh,
1: There's a kind of natural and persuasive line of thought that says, look, here's a whole other stuff that you're sure about, that you're feeling certain ways and so on. And so you can be sure of that. And then there's further things you get at by inference. Maybe that you, know, you move around, you notice everything kind of changes in a certain way. Surely the natural explanation is that your feelings, your experiences are being caused by something independent of you. That, uh, and you think, well, but uh, I can't be as sure of that. It's possible that there isn't a real car out there. There's just some evil demon fiddling with me. Uh, making it appear so. So I don't know that there's a car out there. And the crucial premise there is that if it's possible, relative to what you're sure of, that some proposition P, that car is in front of you, not be true, then you don't know it. And I think that's an assumption that has to be resisted. I mean, why do you feel that somehow you're not entitled to a belief unless it's absolutely logically guaranteed by things you already know? Uh, That kind of logical guarantee isn't required for the belief to be true. It's not required for the belief to be arrived at in a way that generally produces true beliefs. It's not required for you to be reasonable in believing the thing. It's not clear why you've
0: uh, kind of allowed
1: yourself to be uh, dominated by this very high standard for what you're entitled to believe. Uh, mm. I mean, I agree this is a bit like the intuition that consciousness must be distinct from the physical brain, the intuition that somehow there's something iffy, if You can't be 100% sure about something is a pretty compelling intuition, but I think it's just a mistaken intuition. You should resist it, and you should happily uh, uh, embrace all the the conclusions you can reach by inference from the things you are initially sure of. I mean, often you can be very, very sure that uh, 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 some things are true, even if you can't be, Absolutely uh, demon proofly sure.
0: I, su- I suppose maybe I, th- I think I, cu- I could see myself, for example, accepting um, some of these other um, theories of the philosophies of mind that would be um, different from like a, a dualism or an idealism or something like that and would seem to. Um, follow the science but I I just struggle with the that I would always be mentally representing the proposition you know so um that yeah the the mental is some kind of uh you know you know all that exists is fundamentally physical in some sense and that's what and and I'd be like but I'm mentally representing that fact and it and it seems in some way I you know I can't like reconcile the two in it seems like that defeats the, the idea that, again, that defeats the idea that, that, that um, like, it, there's always this thing, this idea thing that is what I'm experiencing. And I can have an idea that ideas don't exist, really. But
1: it's. I'm, I'm not sure you aren't just <laughs> appealing to the thing I.
0: Like a begging the question kind I,
1: of. I, 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 I queried a moment ago okay. that you aren't entitled to believe things that you aren't 100% certain of. I, I might also query the idea, you somehow got yourself into this tangle that you're sure about what's going on mentally, but you are, uh, don't feel you're entitled, confident uh, to have any views about what's beyond that. And I mean, I could make different positions, Look, how did you get to be sure about all this mental stuff i mean here i am and look i'm pretty sure there's a, there's a table here and there's a mirror mm. behind me and that you know comes pretty much first in the order of uh, what what i'm confident about and then if you ask me to start thinking about my mind thinking about my mind is a very sophisticated thing to do and to start thinking that i've got certain conscious states that are distinct from the table in the mirror i mean i'm not saying that's all wrong mm. but that's something that one has to do a lot of reasoning to get to yeah and so i'm kind of curious about why you think that's a place to start when after all in truth you've reasoned yourself to that mm. probably quite long and complicated set of inferences
0: yeah i mean i guess i i i do think um i think to say the proposition um you know, I I exist and I'm a thinking thing or something is different from, descri- you know, that that is a description of my experience in natural language. Um, so that thing is, e- even if I couldn't describe that in natural language, I think I'd be having that experience. That's just how I'm kind of communicating it. So um, look,
1: this kind of Cartesian project I... I think, therefore, I am, and then I build everything up from that. That's driven by the the aim, the hope, that you will be able to establish everything as deductively guaranteed by things you can be certain of. So the whole Cartesian project is, in a way, driven by the very high standard for knowledge, which a moment ago... I was casting doubt on. If you have that aspiration to knowledge, as Descartes did at least at the beginning of his life, then your best bet is probably to say, okay, uh, there's one thing I can be sure of, it's how things are inside my mind, and then try and derive everything from that. Uh, But if you don't have that high standard for knowledge, there's no real obvious rationale for looking for some foundation of things you can be actually sure of, and then building everything up from that. There's no immediate uh, reason not just to start with all the beliefs and procedures we have in ordinary everyday life. Now we should, of course, examine them all. I mean, I'm not against the Cartesian idea that everything should be held up to examination to see whether whether it's, it's uh, indeed uh, something that we should believe that is reasonable. But if you don't have this very high standard, nothing should be embraced unless it's absolutely certain that it's something that couldn't be false even in a demon world, unless you have that absolutely high standard, you don't get driven back into the mind as somehow the thing that you should be starting from and there's always a difficulty of getting beyond it. Uh, uh, you, you can carry on with plenty of ordinary beliefs about the everyday world and then you can explain how you arrived at them, you can show how the methods you arrived at them are reliable. Uh, there's no need to do this foundational thing starting within the mind. So I, I, I think that itself is a mistake driven by the desire for absolute certainty, which is a desire we should never have signed up to. Uh,
0: that definitely makes sense um, for propositions uh, propositional knowledge but I think my consciousness seems to be like it is I, I don't mean it as the proposition you know like I, I'm experiencing I exist like that the experience is the experience not the language used to represent it and um, I sort of it, it seems I, I know you're not necessarily arguing for like um, eliminative materialism or something but to to say that these concepts to, to come to conclusions that would be like well the, well that isn't really real when it's like that is everything that that is to me um even you know like like maths or all the scientific facts i know and stuff they exist within this experience that it uh, this is this isn't clearly clearly thought out i'm sorry but um do, does that 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 i'm saying this experiential kind of thing is different from a from a proposition and yes to have like propositional knowledge would be um yeah i can't i can't be certain of all the kind of propositions and and beliefs that i have but but at bedrock i'm always just this experiencing thing
1: um i'm not sure what the issue or the argument
0: yeah maybe i'm not making yeah. an argument
1: I mean, An interesting question, what's the connection between conscious experience and propositional representation, and various philosophical views bring them quite close together. But at first pass, you might well think, look, experiencing is one thing, not all experiencing, if I'm feeling uh, Sad or elated? Am I representing anything? And you might also think not all representation is conscious experience. I can uh, uh, represent uh, my various unconscious beliefs. I have various representations early on in my uh, visual processing system of features of the environment that aren't conscious. So you can have conscious without representation, representation without consciousness. So if you want to say, look, I'm not quite getting it. I mean, there you are, and you have a lot of experiences indeed, and, uh, and, and your conscious world is exhausted by those experiences. Uh, I'm not going to deny that. I mean, then you might, if you're more sophisticated, form various representations. In particular, you might form the representation that you aren't the only entity in the world. And what's more, your conscious experiences are caused by a physical world outside you. And the thought that my conscious world is exhausted by my experiences doesn't look like any argument against the truth of that representation. Uh, why shouldn't it be true that there's things outside you uh, in addition to your conscious experiences which are causing the experiences? In fact, the structure of your conscious experiences makes that a very reasonable thing to suppose.
0: Yeah, I think I think that the yeah you're right that then then the argument does actually just become well I'm less certain of those things that are known by inference and so yeah, yeah. so just, yeah I think I think that's a a good a good point um a, a question from um the chat. I think this is to do with what we were talking about earlier, and um, I know know it's kind of an unnatural shift in gears, but I'm just a bit wary of time. Um, If we have justification to accept one of two empirically indistinguishable theories on the basis of it being more theoretically virtuous, isn't that a priori justification? Very good question.
1: Very good question. Uh, So... If you're a realist, as I am, there's a question about preferring. Let's let's call it simpler, but I don't really like the term "simple" because it's not any kind of a priori, It's the kind of simplicity. Well, and I'm I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, let Let's say if you prefer theory with with uh, characteristic X. Uh, Putative virtue X. There's a question uh, about the presupposition there that theories with uh, uh, characteristic X are generally likely to be true. And there's a question then is, is that an a priori matter or an a posteriori matter? And uh, I'm inclined to say, I don't see any reason why it shouldn't be a posteriori. Why shouldn't our, uh, experience of the world show us that in general, uh, uh, theories of a certain kind are the ones that are likely to be true. Um, uh, so the Greeks thought that any theory of physical reality ought to somehow be based on circles. Circles are kind of a theoretical virtue, and now we think that no, that's a mistake. Uh, theories involving inverse square laws are much more likely to be, to be true. Uh, so, I actually think that the preference for theories with characteristic X is itself an a posteriori matter. Now look, there's an obvious bootstrapping operation going on here, uh, where somehow uh, uh, arriving at theories using our existing methods, including probably preferences for theories with characteristic X, to somehow arrive at the conclusion that theories with characteristic X are are generally true. But I don't think that kind of that kind of bootstrapping is necessarily vicious. And if you're really interested, I used to write about this quite a lot. I've got a paper on the inductive justification of induction. And then I generalize to the question of uh, uh, preference for theories with certain characteristics in, I think, chapter five of my book from the 90s, Philosophical Naturalism, uh, which uh, you can see a rather scruffy version of on my website. So chapter five, Philosophical Naturalism, on my website if you want to see the full story of what I think about this.
0: I will put links to those in the description as well for people um, to be able to check them out um, of the video. Mm -hmm. Um, So just thinking, being wary of time then, I guess that's about the right place perhaps to wrap it up. So um, just thank you for your time, giving up your time to come and talk to me. And also thank you for putting up with my silly questions as well.
1: Um, (laughs) It was very, very interesting. That was fun. That was fun. Thank you very much.
0: No problem. I'll end the live stream there then. uh, And thank you everyone for watching.